Welcome to the Richard Blackby Leadership Podcast, helping people take their leadership to the next level. Brought to you by Blackby Ministries International. Well, welcome back to the podcast, Richard. It's good to see you. Good to be with you again, <laughs> as always. As always, yes. Well, it's it's good to be with our listeners again as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hope you've uh, had a good week and been able to take your leadership to the next level. And uh, this week we're on a bit of a downer, mm-hmm. and uh, it's talking about uh, leaders who have fallen. And there seems to be an unusual uh, high number of prominent Christian leaders who have fallen morally or otherwise. Uh, lately, and uh, it's kind of become a huge issue. Yeah. So why do you why do you think that so many seemingly successful, together, respected, uh, intelligent leaders uh, fail so dramatically? Well, Sam, you know, there's always been those throughout history. It's not a new phenomenon, but uh, now and then, for some reason, it just seems to be that there's a larger number of people. It just seems like the news is regularly. Uh, telling about another person that has fallen. And uh, and a lot of the, the Christian circles that I run in, lately there's just been a, it seems like an unusual number of people that, of highly respected people, people yeah. that you would never expect uh, to have this happen to them. And of course the stories are all somewhat different, but the, the bottom line is, is often the same. Many of them, some level of adultery that uh, they committed and very effective people that have accomplished much, greatly respected, are suddenly resigning immediately, resigning all their posts, stopping to minister, uh, leaving their jobs. And another person who had been very effective in the ministry is no longer serving. And so it's a devastating thing. Of course, in a day in which uh, Christianity is under attack and there's such great need in our world that is seemingly becoming increasingly dark spiritually. Yeah. The last thing we need to do is to be losing good soldiers, uh, good, effective communicators of the gospel. Uh, we, we can't afford to get those people sidelined. And of course, it's, a, it's just a horrendous tragedy yeah. for that person, for their spouse, for their children, for people whose lives were impacted greatly by their ministry. Mm-hmm. It's always devastating when you became a Christian by someone sharing with you, walking with you, and then that person who led you to Christ and baptized you, maybe did your wedding, uh, suddenly they are exposed as living immorally. Yeah, It, it often shakes your faith tremendously. Mm-hmm. And so that is, it seems lately why we're doing this podcast is because just in recent days, there seems to be a heavy number of people that are falling. Uh, and so when I look at why they fall, a couple of things uh, just to point out, uh, first of all, is that we do tend to put people on pedestals. And so if someone is a great preacher or someone is a beloved pastor, we tend to assume, we kind of put a halo upon them and assume that uh, everything that they do is done wisely and done well. Uh, and I've learned, I'm, I've been a minister, grown up in a minister's home, you can be a wonderful preacher and yet have some personal failings. And I'm not just talking about moral failings, but even great servants of God are not necessarily good at everything. Yeah. And so, for instance, uh, there's a interesting story of uh, A.W. Tozer. I love Tozer's work. I love his books. love his preaching. Yeah. Powerful, powerful 
uh, person. But uh, he uh, he died eventually, and his wife remarried, married a businessman. And, of course, people were curious because uh, uh, her first husband was such a revered, highly respected yeah. Christian leader. And instead of marrying another preacher, she married a lay person. And so they asked him and said, uh, well, what, what's it like comparing your two husbands? The one is famous and revered for his godliness and love for God, and the other, an unknown person, basically, good person, but just not famous and not a preacher. And uh, Tozer's wife said an interesting thing. She said, well, with A.W. Tozer, I had no doubt that he loved God. And she said, with my current husband, I have no doubt that he loves me. Wow. And I thought that was very telling. I don't know that that means they had a bad marriage, but it just means that he was so focused on God that he neglected his wife. His yeah. wife did not always feel love. She felt definitely um, in second place. And maybe it's okay to feel second place to God, but sometimes we confuse God in the church, or we confuse God in ministry. Yeah. And we assume that anything involving ministry is the same as God. You know, it, it seems that a lot of times, especially Christian leaders, they, they tend to do like one thing extremely well yeah. to the neglect of, of almost every other aspect. Right. Uh, you know, another great example is William Carey that uh, was the, the father of Baptist foreign missions who felt called, of course, he, he preached the great sermon, uh, asked great things of God, expect great things from God, and he ultimately goes to India. But uh, his wife just was not consumed with missions the way he was. She, she wasn't cut out, really, to go live in the really difficult uh, environment of, uh, of India at that time. And uh, so he was going to go without her. He was setting sail to, without his wife to go all the way to India to do mission work. And uh, the, the boat was delayed. Uh, the, the departure time was put off for a day or so. And so people came and pled with his wife, don't, don't stay behind. Uh, so she, at the very last moment, packs up her bags, goes down to the boat, and joins her husband going to India. Well, she basically lost her mind over there and was all but put into a padded room so she wouldn't hurt herself, lost her mind, went crazy in India. It was just too much for her. Yeah. And so we celebrate William Carey as a great missionary uh, pioneer and uh, motivator, but there was a price to pay. And again, it's not that he was necessarily immoral or adulterous, but some of these people, one of the great questions about great leaders is, in order to do great things, do you have to neglect other important things. Yeah. And I think sometimes leaders, they struggle in that area. And sometimes they neglect things to their peril. They, ne they do neglect their marriage. They neglect their own uh, self-care. Some leaders, for instance, are, if they're pastors, maybe they focus so much on preaching that they neglect their health. They put on a lot of weight. They don't exercise. They don't eat well. Uh, or they just don't, they, or they ne they're so busy giving other people uh, a word from God that they neglect feeding their own soul mm. and they become spiritually dry and their walk with God becomes uh, very cold and they're just going through the motions. And I see that often uh, where, and, and that's why we're real surprised when a guy who preaches so much to others and then you find out that there's a huge void in their own life, yeah. that their own marriage has been uh, in great stress for a long time. And you think, well, how could this be? They traveled the world 
encouraging other people's walk with God, how could they have been so out of touch with God's voice themselves? Uh, and yet that's one of the great uh, dangers of leadership is that we've, we focus so much on getting other people where they should be that we neglect to make sure we are where we should be as well. Yeah, well, so what advice do you have well, for people uh, in that situation? Well, you know, you, you've got to be aware of, of what's happening in your life. And number one, you have to guard your own heart. And no one else will guard your heart for you. You've got to just make that a priority to say, has my love for God grown cold? Has my love for my spouse grown cold? cold?" And what happens for a lot of leaders like this is that when they, especially when they've been very successful, whether you're a secular leader or a Christian leader, is you start to think that the rules don't necessarily apply to you. Hmm. If you, for instance, started a church and it's grown to several thousand people, or you started a company, or you, you turned the company around and made it successful, you begin to think, well, this company or this organization owes a lot to me. Uh, it wouldn't be here. It wouldn't be this great. It wouldn't be this profitable if it wasn't for me. And that's why sometimes CEOs will dip into company funds, and they'll say, well, the company wouldn't have all this money if it wasn't for yeah, me. And somehow they deserve it. I, I pulled this great deal, made this great sale, and now we've got all this money coming in, so it owes me this uh, $10,000 shower curtain or whatever it is that's... <laughs> yeah. Uh, ridiculous. Uh, I've seen for a lot of people, especially with pastors, when they commit adultery or they embezzle funds, you think to yourself, how on earth would they have thought they would not have been found out? How could they think they could get away with that? What were they thinking? In fact, there's an interesting book that was uh, edited by Robert Sternberg. It's called Why Smart People Can Be So Stupid. (laughs) Uh, That title caught my attention. I had to read that one. Uh, when I first saw it, and uh, it's a secular book, but it looks at, at one. Of the, for instance, one of the examples is Bill Clinton, who's a Rhodes Scholar, is obviously a smart man in many ways, and yet he could uh, he could be having an affair with an intern in the Oval Office, and you'd say, well, how could a guy who academically, politically is that smart, how could he do something so foolish, so reckless, that could just endanger his entire presidency? And so this book kind of looks at that to say, why do people as leaders who are so smart think that they can get away with stuff that is going to bring them down and cause their reputation to be lost and so on? And oftentimes it's because they think that it just can't happen to them, that somehow they're above uh, the rules or people owe them so much that they're exempt. Uh, They would never encourage someone else to do those kind of things, but somehow they think they're immune from it or they deserve it. Or oftentimes I've seen people that fall that what happens is they, they get tired, they get careless, uh, they, they let their guard down. Sometimes it's just a one-night kind of mistake or failure, but uh, they get caught in a weak moment. Uh, they're not on their guard all the time. They Oftentimes when people travel a lot, uh, they're away from home, they're, they're getting back late at night at their hotel room or whatever, and uh, they, they've allowed themselves to get into a vulnerable position. Hmm. And, and, uh, and so they oftentimes do things that they know are wrong, they know that they shouldn't do, and they've urged lots of other people. In fact, most of the people I know who fail morally, especially pastors, it's never out of ignorance. It's never that they didn't know they shouldn't do that. Yeah. In fact, they've all preached and urged others not to do that. But in a weak moment, we suddenly think that somehow 
uh, it doesn't matter for me, or I, I can get away with that, or I'll just do this this one time, and I'll just I'll just borrow company funds one time, and then the next thing you know, you've embezzled three hundred thousand dollars, and you're being found out, and now you're headed to jail, and people would say, well, how how could you have done something so foolish? You had this great ministry. How could you have thought you wouldn't have been caught and yeah. exposed? We delude ourselves. We create our own uh, reality, and we we find a way to justify what we're doing uh, so that it makes perfect sense to us when we're explaining it to ourselves. But uh, when it's exposed, suddenly it appears just as foolish as it's always been. Yeah, I think the danger is to believe in that pedestal that you're put on as a leader, that, that you're somehow not, not human in a way. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, well, let's, let's take a quick break here, and uh, we'll jump back into this. Twice a year, Black Bee Ministries hosts a spiritual leadership coaching workshop in the Atlanta area. The focus of this workshop is learning how to ask the right questions to help move people onto God's agenda. If this sounds like something you're interested in, the next workshop dates are October 24th to 26th, and registration is open now. The early bird rate is available until September 30th, and space is limited. To find out more and to register, visit blackbeecoaching.org. We'll also leave links in the show notes. So, Richard, what are some red flags that, that we can be looking at at leaders? And then as a leader, what are some red flags that we should be paying attention to that, that might indicate that we're vulnerable of failing? That's a great question. You know, a lot of times when someone does fail, then people come out of the woodwork and say, well, you know, I was concerned because I noticed this, or for several months I'd seen this. But of course, when you're a revered leader and you see those red flags, you just assume, well, that would never happen to them. Or who am I to suggest to the boss that that they've got a problem here? And I've just learned to take red flags seriously. So if it's my own, if it's, I'm looking at myself, if I find that uh, my own walk with God has grown stale, that, that ought to be a huge red flag. I'm vulnerable. If uh, I've just Here I'm going around telling other people about how to be right with God, but I've neglected my own quiet time. My own prayer life is stale. I, red lights ought to be flashing on the, the warning dash right there. For a lot of leaders, I see that when they get tired. When, you, when you're tired, you're vulnerable. Yeah. And when you have been going too hard too long, uh, you're at a very vul- you, you need to understand how vulnerable you are. And if I see someone who's very tired, maybe even working for me, uh, I may want to encourage them, hey, just get get some re- take care of yourself right now because yeah. our attitudes change. Our thinking gets cloudy. We start rationalizing things when we're tired that in, a, in a, with a clear mind, uh, we know how nonsense, much nonsense that was. When I'm watching people, I, I, I can detect things. Uh, for instance, I've known some people that were, some men that were huggers, and they were especially hugging females. And I'll tell you what, in this culture, that's, you're asking for trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you're just kind of touching females, it might be just patting them on the back or just touching them, but there, there are people that I've just noticed who have a habit of doing that, and then lo and behold... Uh, that touching is really a reflection of more going on, mm. and and it's opening the door for more to happen. Uh, I, I find that too, with, especially with men that uh, have engaged in sexual humor. I knew a person one time uh, that uh, he he was always making just edgy kind of jokes. He was a Christian, 
But he would tell jokes that I just didn't think were appropriate for a Christian to tell. They were just uh, a lot of sexual overtones. And at the time, you thought, well, that guy just has a little off-color sort of sense of humor. But the Bible says what comes out of your mouth reflects what's in your heart. Yeah. And uh, that person ultimately did uh, fall morally. And you realize, well, all that stuff coming out of his mouth was just indicating where his mind was, where his thoughts were. And you think, well, how far can I go with someone who just told a bit of an off-color joke? I mean, I didn't laugh at the joke. I didn't encourage it. I, I tried to let him know I disapproved of that kind of humor. But um, but maybe I should have said something about, wow, why is it you, you talk so much about that? Why do you think so much about that? Yeah. Uh, and so there's a, one other thing is just when, when I see someone that is beginning to isolate themselves. Pretty well, when you when studies have been done of especially pastors and Christian leaders who've fallen morally, the one common denominator typically is that they had no one to whom they were accountable. They were maybe the pastor of a megachurch, and none of their staff dared point out the fact that they had off-color jokes or they liked to hug women or or they spent a lot of time alone in their office with their secretary or or whatever it might be, and they stopped... They don't have any accountability group. There's no prayer partner. There's no person that asks them hard questions. Mm. They don't come to the pastor's meetings anymore. Uh, when I see someone isolating themselves who doesn't have time to get with other peers, people that have the, uh, the uh, authority or the opportunity to ask hard questions, usually when, when we're doing something we shouldn't, we don't want to be around people that can ask us hard questions. Yeah. And so the moment I find someone who's not wanting to be in that kind of context, doesn't want to be held accountable, uh, who thinks they're above that, uh, you know there's, they're in danger, they're vulnerable. Well, the, just the, the importance of, of being close to your peer group. I yeah. think that, that you, you're with people. You're not always around people that look up to you, maybe. Right. You know, that you're around people who are on the same level. And, and there's a lot of leaders who just want to have psychophants around them that just praise them all the time yeah. and never question them. Just always tell them how great they are. And again, you're you're making yourself extremely vulnerable yeah. if that's all you have around you. Yeah. So we've looked at some of these red flags and so I, th- just the natural next question is, so how do we uh, protect against... Uh, some of these uh, yeah, potential well, pitfalls. You know, maybe two things just to say. One is certainly from, from a moral perspective, jealously guard your walk with God and, and your relationship with your spouse. Yeah. If uh, your relationship with your spouse is not what it ought to be, uh, you're in charge of, you're a leader, make it so. Don't just resign yourself to the fact, okay, I'm going to have an unloving, unhealthy uh, marital relationship. That That leaves you incredibly vulnerable. Uh, to someone of the opposite sex coming into your life and meeting a, a need that your wife should or your husband should be meeting. Right. Uh, so be guarding you, yourself that way. And then I think there's this, I think Billy Graham and his organization decades ago uh, had a modesto manifesto that uh, where they just came up with some rules about things like, I'll never be alone with someone of the opposite sex. And uh, kind of famously here recently, Mike Pence, the vice president, came out that he has those rules. He doesn't meet one-on-one with a female. And of course, a lot of the press mocked him for that, which is so typical of the world. They'd also be very quick to be reporting if there was ever a moral scandal that he had. Mm -hmm. But uh, he had built some things. And of course, they made it all sound like, well, he just thinks all all women are uh, connivers and seductresses. And he was saying, no, I'm not 
I'm not saying that. I'm just saying uh, if I'm never alone with a female, it's pretty hard to develop an unhealthy relationship. And yeah. What he was saying is I know myself. I know I'm a vulnerable, sinful person. And uh, so I'm going to build safeguards into my routine. So even if I am tired and even if I am uh, not in the best space, it, it, my routines and my schedule uh, prevents me from falling. And I think that that's wise. I think that's why leaders often put windows in their office door so that they can't be just shielded entirely uh, from any kind of scrutiny when they're in their office with mm -hmm. someone of the opposite sex. And uh, there's, a, there's a number of rules. I, I think you have to kind of prayerfully just consider what your routines and schedules should be. I don't know that you have to just copy what everyone else does. Sure. But uh, I think you need to be in, intentional about it. And I think you need to... If you think ahead of time, what are things I won't do? I won't meet with uh, someone of the opposite sex in my hotel room when I'm traveling. Uh, there's been some recent scandals coming out that way of prominent leaders that would have meetings in their hotel room. Well, that's just sort of a given that you're, you're just playing with fire if you're going to do that. And so to think ahead of time and say, well, if someone offers that, if someone says, well, hey, why don't I just come up to your room and we'll work on this? You have a policy already that says, well, I just don't do that. But if you don't have any policies, you haven't guarded yourself ahead of time, then in the, the moment, you may just make a foolish mistake just because you haven't prepared yourself. So I would say in this day and age in which we live, and there are people that, and there is evil out there, I think, that would happily bring down uh, Christian leaders. And so yeah. you do need to be careful of that. And there are people who might accuse you, even if nothing at all had happened, uh, you'd, be, you'd be vulnerable just to an accusation. And so in this day in which we live and lead, you just have to take the highest road possible and take the most precautions because there's just too many ways where things could go wrong or at least appear to have gone wrong. And so I guess the, the big question that I think we'll end with is, what difference does it really make? I mean, obviously in the church, it, it makes a difference if, if someone has a moral failing just say in business, uh, does it make a difference if, if the leader is a mo you know has failed morally as long as they're leading well? Well, and that's a huge uh, debate, and I think it is probably important to look at both spiritual leaders, Christian leaders, and uh, in a Christian context, and a secular leader. Uh, a lot of American presidents, like a JFK or a Bill Clinton, uh, they accomplished some good things as president, but they also had clearly had some moral failures. Mm -hmm. uh, Martin Luther King Jr. had moral failures, even though he accomplished much good and yeah. did much that was, uh, I think, very God-honoring. And that is very confusing uh, to, to people to say, well, so do you just rule out everything they did? Do you just say, uh, we can't celebrate any of that person's contributions because we happen to know that they were an adulterer? Um, and my feeling is you, you have to pretty well measure a leader's contribution on its own merits and to say, well, they did accomplish these things. You, you can't take that away from them. They, they did accomplish good. But at the same time, their personal life, what, they failed in some huge areas. And, of course, the, the big debate is can you trust someone? If, if you would regularly bareface lie to your spouse about where you're going and, and betray her and betray a promise you made before God and witnesses and, and lie to your children, then could you be trusted to tell the truth at work? 
Yeah. You'd be trusted to tell the truth to, to peers and employees and supervisors if you've lied to the people that trust and love you the most. If you'd betray them, who wouldn't you betray? Of mm. course, it's a big issue. Uh, and, and certainly when you serve God, our, our, our goal is not so much to get things done as it is to bring glory to God. Yeah. And so if you're failing to bring glory to God, you're failing as a leader. And I think certainly a, a pastor, uh, is more than perhaps anyone else, is a role model. And so when you fail morally, you undercut the faith, the belief, the convictions, the moral standards of all kinds of other people. And if someone else is considering adultery, if someone else is considering some kind of moral uh, a breach, uh, and then they see that, well, they're spiritual leader ha has done that in the past or recently did that. Uh, some people are just looking for an excuse. Yeah. And I think that's why there's lots of places in the Bible that talks about being blameless because being, being blameless in part means you don't provide anyone else with an excuse for doing the same things. Yeah. They can't point to you and say, well, he did it, she did it, so it's okay for me to do it. And being, and I think especially in spiritual leadership roles, pastor roles and so on, uh, there is a higher standard. Yeah. And whether you think that's fair or not, there just is a higher standard because people look to us as a model and uh, we don't want to be a cause of stumbling. I think uh, Jesus said there's some huge repercussions and consequences for causing others to stumble. And so it, it does matter what our character is like. It does matter what our moral life is like. And I... I do think that when people do fail, it's the right thing to do is to step out of leadership and to say, I've just disqualified myself at this point. And it needs to be clear that when you do this kind of behavior, you're no longer qualified to lead. Yeah. And I think First uh, Timothy chapter three is a great reminder for anyone in leadership of, of how uh, you ought to act and, and yeah. just sort of that, hold that up as a checklist to yourself every so often and, and say, mm -hmm. am, I, am I living up to... Uh, what the Bible puts out as as uh, as a leader, yeah, and no. I know it's talking about uh, pastors, but I think that you know, I think those are great things for anyone to live by, and especially anyone in right. leadership. You'll never go wrong by trying to right. meet the Bible standards, <laughs> and 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 just never say it could never happen to me. Don't ever. That I think that's one of the greatest uh, vulnerabilities is to say I'm just not that kind of person. It could never happen to me. Yeah. And what history has shown is, uh, I, I think. Pretty well, all the certainly the, the prominent Christian leaders that I have uh, known that have recently fallen, not one of them would have ever thought that it could happen to them. And people around them would never have thought that. But given the right opportunity, the right context, the right frame of mind, uh, the right level of weariness and isolation, given the right context, it just goes to show we're all vulnerable. Yeah. And so we need to assume that and we need to put protections around ourselves so that uh, should we ever get to that place, uh, we'll still have enough safeguards in place to keep us from making a really bad mistake. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, review us on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. If you have questions or comments, please email us at podcast at blackbee.org.